0: Hi, and welcome to uh, episode four now of well Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, delighted to have here with me um, Mrs. Rebecca Corney, who is a counselling psychologist, or, or was, it, it was a counselling psychologist in the NHS for 18 years, working in community mental health, and is now working in private pra- practice um, in relation to adult mental health. And is also actually a parent of Hasmonean. So, Mrs. Corney, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. It's lovely
0: to be here. Um, pleasure. And actually, the theme of today... We, the previous episodes have really focused on how you how parents can look after their young adults in the house and their teenagers in the house in relation to e-safety and alcohol and drugs and whatever. But today, actually, the focus is really on how parents can try to look after themselves to make sure that they're in a, in a fit, I guess, uh, state of mind to ensure that they can then look after their, their children. Um, and that's really what we're discussing today. So I guess that brings me on to the real first question, which is, Quite quite simply, how can how can we look after ourselves as adults in this situation?
1: I think it's a massive question with not such a straightforward answer, um, but I think we're all experiencing a tough time at the moment. You know, we'd sort of survived this first lockdown, and now we're heading into lockdown two, as it's become to be called. Yeah. We're in it now. Yeah. We're so, sort of still in the crisis. We're still in the trauma. And I think as adults, we are sort of received these messages that we know what to do, or should know what to do. We should know how to take care of our kids. We should know how to support our, maybe older or ed- elderly relatives and how are we keeping ourselves safe and well within that? And it, it's hard, isn't it? Absolutely. Because people yeah. are struggling in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Um, maybe it would be more helpful to begin with what's not useful, what are unhealthy behaviors?
0: Sure, sure, absolutely. Um,
1: because I think when we're dealing with very high levels of distress, um, and I think people are experiencing all sorts of distress, trauma, as I said, loss, we tend to deal with it in different ways, mm. and some unhealthy ways might be turning to alcohol, eating more, turning to more social media, yeah, yeah. Um, and doing things that might help in the short term manage our distress, but in the long term actually just perpetuate yeah. some of the worry.
0: I and mean, the key the, the key thing is really what we what we say that sometimes teenagers can be guilty of doing. As adults, we're just as capable, I'm using inverted commas there, of being as guilty, turning to things like alcohol, maybe, dare I even say, it, drugs, uh, social media for sure, and, and we don't perhaps realise because we're adults that they can present dangers to, to us too.
1: Absolutely, and I think a, a really good way of thinking about that is if we're on an aeroplane and we're watching the flight attendant at the beginning of, before the flight's even taken off, telling us about the safety procedures, I know that I always watch, but I'm a rule follower. So um, (laughs) (laughs) my husband always laughs at me. But if we are watching, then they tell us to put on our masks before we put the mask on of an infant. And I think that's a really, really good way of thinking about it because we do need to protect ourselves. We do need to look after ourselves in order to effectively look after the people around us. So, you know, we have this idea that the more information we have, the less anxious we'll be. And there has been a study that showed we are far more anxious as human beings than we were 30 years ago. Wow. And it's interesting. Is that an adult study? That's an adult study. Right, wow. And we have so much more information at our fingertips. So it's a bit of a paradox. Because yeah. in fact, the more information that we do have accessible, the more anxious we are. But we still think that there's going to be an answer there somewhere <laughs> for me. And yeah. so we know that we're having to sit with this uncertainty, sit with the discomfort of not quite knowing what's going to happen next.
0: Yeah, no, no, it's 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 an incredibly difficult thing to deal with. Um, just looking back to the original lockdown, you know, that some of our parents many of whom would have had to work from home and at the same time look after you know, large families. Many of our parents would have large families and, and children that range from a you know, very young age up to into their into into adulthood. Um what do you think we might not even recognise at the time where we were struggling with our own mental health during that lockdown. But what do you think this time round in this in this lockdown too as you've called it, and you know, we've got this uh, lack of clarity about what's going to happen when December the second arrives and we're told that you know, we should be free and all this talk about vaccines and stuff. But actually, what should we be doing this time around to, to, to look after our own mental health as adults, especially adults with teenage children?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good question. So I think the first thing is to um, ask ourselves, what is my template for change? What are the other times in my life that I've been through big changes and how did I cope? Because we often have ways of coping yeah. from other times in our life our kids don't really have to have a template for change which is why you know we, we know there's sort of a mental health almost emergency amongst young people but yeah, as true, adults definitely. we have been through change before some of us have relocated or we've left home or we've started jobs we know what it means getting married, I getting guess that, married a, yeah we know what it means to adjust to something different and new. Sometimes things that are unexpected, things that are untoward, things
0: that we. I was going to say. So, would you categorise in those changes, you know, loss, Absolutely. so losing a loved one?
1: Absolutely. And I'm speaking from personal experience that, you know, it, it's it's shocking yeah. and it's devastating. Yeah. And while you know we 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 don't always have an exact template to know how to manage. We can draw on our family's resilience, and from the stories that have been passed down to us about how do I manage when things don't go the way I think they're going to go. So I think always looking back to stories in the past that can help us, that can help us recognize our own resilience and empower us to to try and manage with what's going on at the moment.
0: Uh, sorry. sorry, no, I was just going to say, I mean, on the on the loss front, it's worth perhaps touching on that a little bit, because we'll have a number of people listening to this who would have gone through and experienced uh, loss during certainly the first wave of, 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 of COVID. I mean, there was a disproportionate number of people in the Jewish community that, that sadly lost their lives uh, compared to other communities. And I guess people are attributing, you know, Purim or, or whatever the reasons might be. Um, but in a household, I guess, when you've got young children, they look up to their parents, and their parents are ultimately, for most people, your heroes. And how do you show how do you show grief in a household that's locked down um, without losing that status as being your child's hero? Does that make sense?
1: It does, but I think that, from what you're describing, it almost sounds like an assumption that to be a hero means that you don't cry true. or you don't show yeah, your weakness true. or you don't display. Those emotions, and I think in families, we all have our own what we call scripts, our own ways of managing those particular adverse life events. So, if you're in a family where you don't talk about feelings and yeah, you don't yeah. express what it's like, and adults try and have the stiff upper lip and think that you know, crying is showing a weakness then that is going to send a message to, to a young person and the children. Whereas if we all acknowledge together that, yeah, this is all really hard and we all miss the person who's no longer here, yeah. then it sets a different tone. Um, I also think in families, everyone's going to have a different relationship with grief. And conflict sometimes arises when we judge each other, like, why aren't you... You know, um, showing that you're upset, or if a parent is thinking about their teenage son, you know, why aren't you sad? You know, why aren't you talking about your grandfather or grandmother or your relative who's passed away? Um, Everyone has their own way, their own different way, and I would also say that there is lots of support available, um, and we might touch on this later. But particularly with reference to grief and loss. I think the whole world is experiencing some sort of grief. We are all in some sort of mourning for the world that was yeah. because the world is different and I think when we've been through something huge like this, and I suppose lots of people are making comparisons with the Second World War, Gosh. you don't emerge the same. So we have to think about how we changed as a result. and. and what can I do differently because of this? So, if the whole world is, you know, if we're all experiencing some sort of mourning, then it's acknowledging that and not being frightened of it.
0: Mm, and mm. as I
1: said, in the Jewish community, um, there are support groups that have been set up for people who've lost someone during COVID.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna touch upon signposting. Uh, parents to different to different areas uh, a bit later in the podcast definitely, um, but I guess when when do we need to understand exactly when it is that we need help? Is there a trigger? Does something click in our mind to say, look, something isn't right, I need help, or is it a sort of dare I say evolutionary process that at some point you suddenly just realise that the way I am at the moment cannot continue? And you know, being in a lockdown or, or working from home, many people have been working from home now for the best part of a. This whole year, yeah. um, and for some people that's great. Some people really fly and, and, and you know like that sort of uh, system. But for many people, the the idea of being in an office, meeting different people, even something as simple as you know socialising on a Thursday evening after work or whatever it might be, we've missed that. And I think you touched upon that. That actually all of us, in some way, shape or form, are. Are agreeing. But when is it? Is there, a, is there a trigger point that we should all suddenly realise that, yes, I now need to get some help?
1: Often there's a, I wouldn't necessarily call it a trigger, but I think there's often an influence that answers the question, why now? How come you've come for help at this particular time yeah. in yeah. your life? and um, sometimes that can come from the person themselves but very often it's come because someone else in their life has noticed it and has voiced that to them and said you know something's up with you something's not right i'm worried about you
0: and could it be the young person in the house that's noticed could it be the children that have noticed that mum or dad or whoever is behaving differently or doesn't quite seem the same but the young person doesn't understand, really, what, or maybe they do, I don't know, but many young people won't understand the kind of stresses and strains that a parent is under, whether it's work-related, whether it's paying bills, whether it's, you know, putting food on the table, those kind of things. We do our best, I guess, parents do their best to shield their children from that kind of harm or, or hurt. So could it be that the young person sometimes raises the alarm? And should we be listening to our children more um, if, if they're raising alarms about the way Maybe we're behaving.
1: Well, I think children don't always overtly um, tell us, but they might show it in their behaviour. So I think you know you're you're a teacher yeah, and absolutely. I'm not, so, but, yeah. but um, I think you know children are very good at letting us know when something's up that they want to be different. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you know we can pay attention maybe to their behaviour, but but also um, I I think that. Uh, In my experience with older teenagers, I'm speaking, you know, about personally, they're also pretty good at at noticing when, you know, mum's stressed or mum's in a bad mood or, you know, or, or you can pick it up yourself, sort of taking a step outside yourself and noticing your tone and how you speak and... Actually, what's going on in your body? Really connecting with your body. Mm-hmm. Is my heart beating faster? Am I feeling tension in my neck and my shoulders? Am I sweating? Am I shouting more? You know, am I banging things more? So really, taking a, a check-in yeah. about the way we are behaving. And what if the answer
0: to some of those questions is yes? Yes, my heart is beating faster. Yes, I am feeling tension in my neck. Yes, I am shouting at my children uh, more. What? what now
1: well i think there's you know it's always a balance i think we'd be hard pressed to find someone who hadn't found the last 8 months stressful in no, some way definitely. and while we don't know much we know a lot more than we did about coronavirus now but we do know lots about anxiety yeah. and we do know lots about depression and we do know lots about trauma and so we can support you with that, and, and one can support themselves as well. Um, so, I mean, I think that there are some things that that we can do. Um, and I was actually listening to Rabbi Sachs, so I know we're all mourning, but yeah, um, he he did a, a, a I think it was an interview with Ted in March. And he was referencing Natan Sharansky, who ended up becoming a member of the Knesset in Israel, but had been in prison in, I think it was Siberia, um, for many, many years. And he came up with a set of principles for how you can survive being in solitary confinement and surprisingly one of those principles was having fun (laughs) and I thought about this and I thought how on earth can you possibly have fun in that situation maybe it's conjuring it in your mind having fun in your mind but thankfully none of us are in solitary confinement and we can all find fun in some places um, I was talking about this with someone recently, and I said, I don't remember the last time I really, really had a good laugh. I properly laugh. And I think it's finding those things that make you smile, make yeah. you laugh. Yeah. Um,
0: and often, sometimes, those things are our children. Uh, sometimes and, and they, they are. are. And sometimes it's the complete opposite. It's, it's yeah. not them that make us laugh. Sometimes but just trying to pick on something that you said, that's the idea about sort of anxiety, depression. We all know what it looks like. How? Do, how do, what are the signs? So if a parent is listening to this and perhaps maybe going through anxiety or, or have extra anxiety, maybe going through depression, maybe start with anxiety, what are the signs that we should look out for to suggest that maybe we are feeling more anxious than we otherwise would be and perhaps we need a bit of support with that? What should we be looking out for?
1: Okay, so anxiety comes in many forms, but ultimately anxiety is our human response to danger. So when our brain tells our body that we're in danger or that there's a threat Mm. our body is responding to it and when this all started coronavirus is a threat it's not a perceived danger it's a real danger it's an actual danger so our body is sort of responding in the way that it's supposed to and we need to be vigilant at the moment we all need to wear face masks and we all need to sanitize our hands but i think anxiety becomes more than we need when we become too hyper-vigilant, right? So it's a little bit like...
0: Go on, yeah. But,
1: you know, in the another analogy might be preparing for an exam, you know, supporting our, our children with exams. It's good to have a bit of anxiety because it helps you to perform your best. But when it's over and above what you need, you can be frozen. It, it yeah, stops yeah. you, prevents you from performing in the way that you might need to. So...
0: Sorry, I was just going to say, what are we looking out for then as, as, as yeah. adults? What, how would I know? I mean, we've all experienced it. We probably all know the general signs of it. But some of us may not have experienced it or may not have um, addressed it head on. How might we know that we're going through a period of increased anxiety?
1: So, two main things. One is the way that we think. So, if we notice that our thoughts... Are mostly what we would call worst case scenarios, oh, thoughts, gosh, yeah. catastrophic thoughts. Yes, yes. Constantly thinking something bad is going to happen to me, and that the frequency of those thoughts or my loved yeah, ones yeah. and that the frequency of those thoughts is very high. So you find that a lot of the day you're thinking in that way, and it's having an impact on other areas of your life it's having an impact on your work, it's having an impact on your relationships, it's having an impact on your sleep.
0: Okay, yeah. Then
1: that's time to think maybe there's something I need to do about this. Also paying attention to your body. So if you notice your heart's beating fast a lot, your adrenaline is pumping, you feel sweaty, you you know, you find that you can't relax, that it yeah. almost feels like you're on a treadmill all of the time and you can't switch off. So it's impossible to sleep because your your mind is yeah, buzzing yeah, and your body is also constantly prepared for this threat. Yeah. Then that might be time to.
0: And, and, and thank you. Yeah. So That's yeah. There's some clear signs of anxiety there. Definitely. What about depression? This is a word that's uh, that's I guess thrown around is probably the right, wrong phrase to use, but we use the word depression quite often. When are, we, when are we actually, I mean, many people will not go through a depression, but might have feelings of depression, but there are some people who, you know, genuinely do go through it. What are we looking for to suggest that we might be slipping into depression, and at what point do we sort of say, right, this needs to be dealt with uh, as adults? So, uh,
1: I'd just like to make a distinction that, you know, anxiety and depression, they're not, they're not sort of mutually exclusive, okay, yeah. and, you know, you they can come together and, and often with mental health you know it, it's not necessarily either or it can very much be both and so I, I, I would just like to sort of no no um, thank you thank uh, you just suggest that but I think with depression it's often four different areas and they all sort of feed into each other the first is our thinking right so we tend to notice our thoughts about ourselves about the world around us and about our future tends to be very, very negative. So I'm not a good person. Everything I do is rubbish. Um, and, And actually, in the first lockdown, I noticed this a lot because human beings are competitive. So people started to become competitive about homeschooling.
0: And I was having lots
1: of conversations with people that said, you know, I'm rubbish at homeschooling and this person's doing it much better than me and this parent's, you know, baking with their child and they're (laughs) learning a language and they're making their own band at home, whatever it was, and people were putting this sort of stuff on Facebook and social media. And for someone who thinks negatively of themselves, who has thoughts of inadequacy, comparing themselves with others was very very destructive so thoughts negative thoughts about ourselves the world and the future our body when we notice we're lacking in energy maybe we sleep a lot maybe you know we're feeling very lethargic we either overeat or we don't want to eat those are also some
0: so they can be linked to depression as well as being their own conditions perhaps they can also be linked to depression
1: yeah i think that this is a combination of different um thoughts and feelings that come together again it's not either or we notice if our mood is low yeah and if we're unmotivated if we don't want to do anything if we can't be bothered to do and anything can others
0: notice this so I can your spouse so. or your children can they notice that you know mum or dad's mood is not quite uh, what it used to be or for the last week or two she's been a bit or he's been a bit down and doesn't seem himself and I guess, as, as as adults, would we take seriously what a teenager is telling us if a teenage child says to us, Dad, you're, you're not quite your normal self? Is that easily dismissed? Do we dismiss those views as adults too much? And should we pay more attention, perhaps, to what our kids are telling us sometimes?
1: So I'm going to share a very personal story, but I remember my daughter was about two months old, and she had been constantly crying, and I was really at my wits end. Mm. And I'd taken her, I'd been referred to see a pediatrician. And I went into to see the pediatrician and she was crying. <laughs> and my, my daughter that is. And um, I said to the pediatrician, my son, who at that point was six, I think, said to me that she never stops crying. And mommy, you always look sad. No. And I remember him saying to me, children are real truth tellers in yeah, that way yeah. that when a child i think or a teenager voices that i think that is time to sort of take it seriously because i think they're witnesses to our behavior and if they're they're making comments about it i think it's it's useful to acknowledge And is that something
0: that you took i mean that's a story that you're talking about from 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 your own experience is that something you took seriously then when your son your young son did say to you that you looked sad Absolutely. Did you, did you sort of think wow you know maybe yeah. maybe he's right
1: yeah, it really made me sit up and and take stock and think, what can I do about it? Mm. Uh, And I think that's also our response to difficult situations. You know, there's lots written about this in terms of CBT, cognitive behaviour therapy. It's not the situation, it's how we think about it, how we respond to it. Um, And I've noticed so many differences in how people are responding to yeah. this situation, yeah. and that's for a whole host of reasons and influences. Yeah.
0: Uh, the, third, the third thing that you mentioned, to go back to when you were talking about anxiety and depression, you also mentioned trauma. Now, trauma is a, a, a multi-used word, really. I mean, Trauma doesn't just mean you've lost somebody in your life. Trauma, I mean, how do we know when we're potentially going through trauma, and when do we know when a particular event uh, is an example of, of trauma would we ever
1: know? Well I, I think when we're living through a very adverse experience we might like to think of it as a continued trauma okay, yeah. um, where you don't quite know when the end is coming It's a bit like war I suppose or you know people living in in you know situations. As, as refugees and yeah. refugee yeah, yeah, camps. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was just the example that came to mind. Um, we tend to hear things like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is really something that's happened after the event. It's a, it's a way of our body continued continue to be in a state of hypervigilance because we're ready in case a danger or threat comes again. When we're in continued trauma, we need to be ready for that threat at all times. And we need to be ready to keep ourselves safe. Mm. So all the things that are keeping ourselves safe at the moment, like we said before, wearing a mask or mm-hmm. you know keeping to the rules, mm-hmm. those help us. But they also remind us that we're in this continued state of trauma and we don't know when we're going going to get out of it so we have to manage the crisis that we're in and i think we need a different set of skills whenever the time is that we'll emerge out of it i i really like there's a um a website called future me future me future me Um, and what you can go on it and you can write a letter to yourself To be delivered to yourself in one year, three years or five years, you can choose. So you just get it sent to your email address. Mm -hmm. But a really quite an interesting question to ask yourself is when I look back in five years time, what will I be proud of in the way that I navigated this crisis?
0: Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And
1: and, and to sort
0: of, I'm just looking at the website now. Actually, we're just having a quick uh, looking it up.
1: Yeah, so it's like writing a letter to to the future.
0: Yeah,
1: and being able to to read it back to yourself. And staff. what should
0: we, if anyone ever was to do this, because it sounds, you know, at, at risk of sort of, you know, shoving this kind of uh, lovely, kind of wonderful thing down people's throats. What would be the benefit of doing something like this?
1: Well, I think what it allows you to do is, as we said earlier in our conversation today, focus on your strengths, what you're doing well. So, you know, those people who say, oh, you know, I learned a language or I, you know, taught my child to sew dresses or (laughs) that's all wonderful. But for some people, it will be, I got dressed. I managed to cook a meal for my family today.
0: So it's celebrating the small things in life.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think our worlds have become very, very small. I know mine has. Yeah, you definitely. know, our worlds have become smaller. And so we're having to focus on smaller things and a smaller routine, which actually keeps us safe. Those are the things that help us to focus on our small routine. Mm-hmm. And being able to appraise that as something we did well is very, very affirming. I think, unfortunately, we have come to live in a world that celebrates big things yeah, absolutely. and big absolutely success. Agree. And and our community probably doesn't help us because we tend to measure success in, you know, I don't know, who you are or
0: How much money what you, you have do or, or, who, or who, what family you get married around. to, yeah. all of
1: those things. So if we focus more on... And what am I proud of today? Yeah. Um, I often suggest to to people I'm working with, especially now, you know, focusing on three things you did today that make you proud. And sometimes it's something so small that would have been considered so small compared to a year ago. Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: Yeah. But it's a good win, I guess, because yeah. our state of mind has, has changed. So, in terms of then the impact on our, our children, you know, we might have teenage children, at this school, other schools, we might have younger children, we might even have adult children, but why do we need to make sure that we're in the best state possible, um, and what impact would, would our state not being so, is good the right word to use, I'm not sure what the right word to use is there, what impact might that have on our children? Because ultimately, although we're talking about parents here, you know it is uh, it is targeted this podcast is targeted at parents of students at, you know sure. with students at Hasmonean so what what should we be looking out for there what should parents be looking out for there
1: well i think ultimately that you know that famous saying you can't pour from an empty cup yeah and so we need to have our own energy and our well-being Enough to be able to support the people that we look after. Yeah. So I, I really think that's the first thing to say. I also think it's as we've talked, recognizing when we might need help. Um, you know, one in three people in the previous lockdown didn't get help because they thought their problems weren't severe enough. So I think being able to acknowledge when we need help is crucial.
0: Yeah. It yeah. is really,
1: really important, um, and it might be helpful if I just mention that support is available. I know we read a lot that you know people who might be worried about. Um, physical health problems might choose not to go to their gp at the moment because they think
0: well those who have mental health problems no i'm talking
1: about just generally all oh, right sorry health
0: right, right right yeah
1: and i think it's similar for mental health problems yeah. i think people have this impression that services are closed or yeah. they're not available yeah. or i'm yeah. not going to get the help they need nhs services for mental health are very much open so how would available. how would one
0: go about uh, is it self referral is it to a gp what would one do
1: So you would go to the GP, um, but um, for mental health issues that are what we call sort of low to moderate, you can self-refer. Certainly in Barnet, you're able to self-refer. And I'm very happy, um, Mr. Kelly, we can put some links I don't know if that's possible. Yes, um, definitely,
0: with the email that we go out to With the at this email. Podcast. Yeah,
1: sure. If people are interested. Sure, sure. Um sure. we also are lucky in our community to have Jamie. Yes. And um Jamie now are able to offer something called Quell, which is an online service. Use
0: it here at school. Do you? Yeah, we that's do it for great. our for colleagues.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, so do. that's an online service for adults.
0: Would you mind just spelling it? Is it with a
1: it's Q yeah. I think it's Q-W-E-L-L. Well, I think it is, yeah, Q-W-E-L-L,
0: something like that.
1: Yeah, E-L-L. Yeah. And they also have Cooth, which is for young people.
0: Also something we use. Also something we
1: use, but Jamie, just to let people know that it's free of charge, that through Jamie you can access those services as well. I think you've also highlighted you know, the, the role as teachers as well, the, yeah. the well-being of teachers. And many, I think, of our parents are involved in the teaching profession. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just, you know, teachers' well-being has been, you know, so at risk and yeah. such an amazing, yeah. courageous job that you're all doing. So oh, I think, fine. you know, but acknowledging acknowledging that it's tough and being able to say, you know, yeah. I mean, there really will be people hard. listening
0: to this who, who have not had a single day working from home from the from the time that COVID, from the time that we were all locked down, you know, teachers at least were shut down for that period, schools were closed, but there'll, there'll be people listening to this who've had very few days at home because they've been involved in some of these key sectors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those people also have to be looking after their own well-being and you know, are they in need of a rest? Is there a risk of burnout and, and fatigue and all those kinds of things?
1: Absolutely, and, and I think we we know it's well documented that front frontline staff... Yeah um are really in need of mental health support at the moment and i think when you are stressed and you are feeling burnt out you are going to come home and tensions ride high and um, sometimes you know we haven't really talked about but there can be lots of disagreements between couples i think couples are spending a lot more time at home so you know parents aren't just individuals they're also in couple relationships absolutely Um, absolutely and you know we might have Parents listening, especially women who might be in a an abusive relationship, yeah, and yeah. I would say to those women listening, services are very much open, and you know. Well, that's been we more chat. documented across the across yeah. the country,
0: isn't it? Because there are who, yeah, absolutely, and our
1: community is not immune from that.
0: Absolutely not. No community is. No. Uh, is the truth. So, so okay. So just just to finish up with some signposting, I guess. Then, so we, we've talked about perhaps going through. The GP. Uh, we've talked about Quell and, and, and Cuth. Are there any other areas? And Jamie, of course, and Jamie, we've worked with as a school as well. They do some some great things. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other areas that we can we can direct parents to? Whether it's even if it's to do with couples counselling, you know things like that. Where else can we go to if uh, if we need support, basically?
1: Well, I think uh, the, the services I've mentioned are the ones that are free of charge. Right. Yeah, um, I support, think that there, yeah. there's always services available in the private sector. Yeah. Um, we also have Relief in our community, which is a mental health organisation that has a big database of different clinicians. Fantastic. Um, and people can phone in there and, and access different services that they might need. But on a on a sort of a, a different level... Social support, being with people, even virtually, picking up the phone, whether it's for someone you know who you might be worried about, Mm. or for yourself, to have a conversation with someone, to reach out for someone is one of the most therapeutic things that you can do.
0: Absolutely agreed. Hearing a familiar voice or seeing a familiar face, even if on a screen.
1: Absolutely. It it does
0: wonders, even if it's for a 10-minute period.
1: Absolutely. It just gets you
0: out of this kind of madness that we're all... That we're all living
1: in, even to share that it is madness that we're living in. Yeah. Just to, to yeah. voice that and, and to have someone listen to you. Yeah. And I would also just go back to what you were saying about living in big households, carving out space for yourself. I've noticed I've started going for walks at night in the dark because when else is there to go? Dark at four o'clock now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I've noticed there's a whole bunch of women walking around Northwest London yeah. at night um, with other women. So you know, I think it's friendship and loyalty, and having someone that you trust, that you can share things with, and and also exercise. You know, is
0: yeah, absolutely imperative. Okay, look, I mean that's been incredibly helpful, uh, and I hope people listening will, will have found that beneficial. We, we we focus a lot on the on the young person, and that's our job, certainly my job. Yeah. Um, but of course, it's important that we focus on ourselves as adults. And you know, I love the analogy about the. Looking after ourselves first, the the aeroplane fastening the seatbelt I think that's great. Um, and with the email, I'll send out some of these links that we that we've talked about that, uh, that, that our parents can refer themselves to. Um, so thanks very much for listening. I hope that's been uh, useful. And thank you very much, Miss Corny. It's, it's much appreciated.
1: Pleasure.